Yeah, this is, this is, a, this is an incredible community. Uh, God is moving here in this, in this church, in this community. Uh, you, and once again, never take that for granted either. And we, uh, I so love and have so much respect for the City Impact movement, family, whatever you call yourselves, church planning thing. Um, but even just sitting here this morning and watching the videos of all the nations that, that City Impact is influencing and impacting and seeing dead people raised and bodies healed through like medical centers. It's just like only God could set all that up. Like, it's, like God is so in this community. Like he's so in City Impact, it's not even funny. And uh, so I just want to encourage you guys, like keep, just keep going. Even if you're not from here, like uh, Kerry and I landed in Queenstown yesterday and I've just been getting wrecked by God ever since I landed. Seriously, I was sitting in my lounge, well, we're staying in this B&B. My boys are watching Blue's Clues, uh, shouting at the TV as if they're watching an All Blacks game. And I have my worship music on. I'm just getting, I'm just feeling the Holy Spirit, man, while my boys are watching Blue's Clues. And I'm crying on the table, and it's just such a funny moment. But uh, God truly is, uh, He's here in Queenstown. He really is. And as Kerry, my wife and I were praying about which parts of this Catalyst tour should we be on, we were going to do a camper van across all 25 locations, which is like a Catalyst tour. And uh, we, Queenstown was the number one place we felt to come to as a family. Like really, we were like, we, for some reason, we have to spend this money to go to Queenstown because something is happening there. And it's not just about what, it's not even about, about what we can receive from what God's doing here that we can take back out across the nation. So we're like, man, we just have to come. And so we traveled, put, took, took our two little wild boys, chucked them in a plane. It was crazy. It was just constant stress. I don't know if any of you have kids and travel with kids. It's, I know you two just, Matt, I don't even know how you did it. Oh, wait, we did the same thing. It's crazy. I don't know. What, anyway, we, um, but we're here. And, and uh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we're here, guys. I really am. And, um, you know, I, I know it's, it's, it's kind of easy to get so just caught up in, in the mundane of your normal environment. But I can tell you from an outsider coming in that something special is happening in Queenstown. Something special is happening in this town. Yeah? Come on. What I love, though, about what, when God does something, when he starts moving powerfully, like in Acts chapter 2, you guys know the story of the upper room, where the Holy Spirit falls with fire and comes like wind, and 120 people just get lit up when the Holy Spirit falls upon them. The great thing is that they didn't, keep it contained in the room, but they took it out to the city and the nation and the nations of the earth. And so that's my challenge to you guys, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight, is yes, God's moving in City Impact. He's moving in C3. He's moving in Queenstown. He truly is. But the challenge is not just to sit around a little campfire, singing our campfire songs, getting caught up in Kumbaya Christianity, but the challenge is how do we take that out into the city and the nation and the nations of the earth. Yeah? Come on. Yeah? All right. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. If you have, it in, if you have your Bibles, let's go there. So just a little bit about me. That was a bit of a wild intro, to be honest. I didn't plan on any of that. <laughs> but a little bit about me. So uh, married to Kerry, Northern Ireland. We have two boys. She's from Northern Ireland, sorry. We have two boys. And uh, we, uh, a couple of years ago, God really began to transition us uh, from the missions organization, which we were a part of, which is YWAM, incredible movement, love it. We never planned on leaving. 
and God began to speak to us about transitioning out. And as we were kind of thinking about, man, what are we going to do as we step out of this thing? We wanted to move to Thailand and go after the unreached people groups of the world, the villages, the towns, the cities that had never heard the name of Jesus. Sounds like a pretty good idea, right? Yeah, sounds like that could be the will of God. And as we were praying, we so sensed the Holy Spirit say to us, you know, yes, you can go and I will bless it, but I want to do something so big in New Zealand. And he invited us to be a part of it. And the scripture that we got and that we've held on to for the last three and a half years of starting this catalyst movement thing is this scripture right here, which is where Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I just want to say to you in Queenstown, the harvest truly is plentiful and the laborers truly are few. In New Zealand, in Aotearoa, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. It's not a harvest issue in Queenstown, it's a labor issue. It's not a harvest issue in Aotearoa, it's that there aren't enough laborers out in the harvest to reap it all in. Yeah? New Zealand's not too far gone. Queenstown's not too far gone. Jesus isn't looking at this town going, man, it's, it's, just, it's just too hard. There's no hope for Queenstown. There's no hope for the people here. He's not looking at New Zealand going, no, nah, New Zealand's lost. It's a lost cause. Like Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit aren't up in heaven going, yeah, we're gonna move everywhere else except that New Zealand country because, yeah, they're just too hard-hearted. No, I truly believe that God is looking at our nation, at our city, at our friends, our families, our cousins, our relatives, and he's saying they're ripe, they're ready, and the harvest is plentiful in this place. But the workers are few. And in this hour, God is raising up workers. He's raising up catalysts. And it's not, it's not centered around one church or ministry or, or man or woman of God. It's a movement. It's an out of control, Holy Spirit, Jesus-led movement where only Jesus gets the glory. No church brand, no ministry, no person. It's all about Him. And that's exactly what God's doing right now. So let's read on after verse 37. Verse 38, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Come on, guys. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. The devil isn't the Lord of the harvest, guys. God is. The government isn't the Lord of the harvest, guys. God is. Our schooling system isn't the Lord of the harvest, guys. God is. And then we go on, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. I love this. So this is what, how, so Jesus, first of all, he responds to the right, ready harvest. He says, pray. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, he does this. And then he says, he calls his 12 disciples. So Jesus has seen a harvest that's ripe and ready. He encourages us to pray. And then he gathers his posse around him, his 12, his nameless and faceless ones, his ones who have no ministry experience, no titles, no Bible college degrees. And he says, come around here, guys. I'm gonna give you authority over unclean spirits, over demons, over the enemy to cast them out. I'm gonna give you authority to heal every disease and every affliction. That's all of us in the room tonight. That's all of us. None of us are disqualified from that. Even if you're a full-on cessationist, you don't believe in the gifts anymore, you're still qualified. Come on. Uh, verse two. The names of the 12 apostles are these. Simon, who is Peter, Andrew's brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
you know, something that I've realized Corey, your pastor, is into, um, and also my wife, I've known my wife's into this for a while, and so many others across our nation, and I pray for these types of people every day, people who are into jigsaw puzzles. I really do pray for absolute salvation over those types of people, and, and Lord, help them realize they're wasting their lives on those things, and it's just pointless, it's just pointless, because you complete a puzzle, and then it's like, cool, like, you just have to destroy it, like you can't do anything with it. I mean, you could frame it, but then no one else can do it, so it's kind of pointless. Anyway, <laughs> Corey always digs at people, so I feel like I should have a go at him. On behalf of this whole church at Corey, thank you, the most claps I've got all night. And, uh, but what I've begun to, what I've realized about jigsaw puzzlers is there's, there's one thing that irks them more than anything else. There's one thing that it's, it's a pet peeve. It's, a, it's, man, if this happens, it's like they get so frustrated and I do not understand it. But if they finish a jigsaw puzzle, but there's one piece missing, oh my goodness, that empty space. I've seen my wife turn the house upside down looking for one jigsaw puzzle piece. The reason being is because in a jigsaw puzzle, every piece, although it's unique, although it's different, although no piece is the same, every piece is significant. Every piece matters to the completion of the jigsaw puzzle. And in the harvest, every calling, every person, every Christian is significant. And if your voice is missing, if your calling is missing, if you're not doing what God's calling you to do, there is a gap in the kingdom of God. And that's not to put false pressure or responsibility on you. It's just the reality. You know, last night we smoked the Australians in rugby. One reason being is because there were two yellow cards, right? Like we scored a bunch of tries, blah, blah, blah. And when, when on the rugby field, if there is a player missing, it's noticeable. If there's a prop missing, it's noticeable. We don't really see what props do half the time, but if they're not on the field, all of a sudden the team doesn't know what to do. They don't know how to push in a scrum. They have to bring another prop on, which means another position goes off. Guys, you are significant. We need your voice in the kingdom of God. We need your creativity in the kingdom of God. We need your yes. We sung a song about here am I, send me. We need you to actually live that out. Queenstown is waiting for you to step out in simple faith, simple obedience, and say yes to the call of God to be a catalyst, a laborer, a worker in the harvest field. Truly, there are people in Queenstown that are waiting for you to just simply say yes, for you to take a simple step of action. There are people on, on the, the, the high schools around here, on the streets, in the communities, in the neighborhoods, and all over in every sphere of this town that are waiting for you to say, all right, God, I'm gonna kick aside every excuse. I'm gonna lay my complacency down, my fear of man down. I'm gonna lay aside all of it, my Netflix even, and I'm just gonna say yes to the call of God. You're significant. You're a jigsaw puzzle piece, and we need your voice. We need your calling. We truly do. Christianity was never meant to be a spectator sport. It never was. And I just feel like there are some of us in the room that are believing this lie that God's given us a red card and we're in the sin bin. Truly. There's some people here, you've disqualified yourself. <laughs> we, need, we need you to realize God hasn't put you in the sin bin. That's your own condemnation and the devil that's put you there. 
God's calling you out of the simba and into the game. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you've done in your life, no one is disqualified from the call of God. I am so glad that when I came to my dad and I said, Dad, I want to preach the gospel to the lost. And I was struggling. I was freshly saved, like four months saved. I was struggling with pornography and drinking and all sorts of insecurities and all this stuff. I am so glad that my dad didn't go, well, son, once you clean yourself up, then you'll be ready. I'm so glad that my father got a microphone and an amp and said, all right, let's go to Manners Mall in Wellington on a Friday night. Prepare a sermon, son, because you're going to preach the gospel to Satanists and gang members and drunkards. Come on, let's do it. And I stepped out and did it, and I preached the worst sermon you've ever heard. But, I, <laughs> but after three times preaching, I was sharing the gospel and my testimony of what God had done in my life. And I noticed this guy standing there in Manners Mall in the corner of my eye, saw him standing there staring at me. And after I finished sharing this horrible story and testimony, there was a complete mess. I, kept, I went up to him and he said, bro, I don't know why, but as soon as I heard your voice, I physically could not move. And I had to stand there and listen to everything that you said. And my first thing was I apologized and said, I'm so sorry, bro. But then eventually led him into a prayer of salvation because it was Jesus. Four months saved, guys. Struggling, still coming out of a life of clubbing, still smoking marijuana. I know that might offend some of the religion here, but I was hungry and I was, I was wholehearted. I was weak, but I was wholehearted. You know, you don't have to be perfect. You just, have to be, you just have to be willing for God to use you. And that's not an excuse to sin. I'm not saying it's okay, but just know that you're not in the sin bin like you think you are. Come on. You guys ready? <laughs> we haven't even started yet. This is the intro. I love it. <laughs> All right, Judges 6. Let's go there. Judges chapter 6. We're going to read about a story real quick about a guy named Gideon. Gideon is absolutely one of my heroes. In fact, so much so I named my first child after him. But I truly believe God's raising up catalyst laborers and Gideons at this time. And I believe that's every single one of us in the room. All right, so uh, get Judges chapter six. All right, it's on the screen. Love it. Good job, screen person. You're doing well. It says this, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. We're going to stop there just for a moment. You know, we just read in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, that the harvest is ripe. But here we read in, in the story of Gideon that there is a war over the harvest. And although the harvest may be ripe, ready, abundant, plentiful, also the reality on the other side of the coin is that there is a war for the harvest. So although it's ripe and ready, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. This is a battle, guys. There always has been and always will be 
until Jesus returns for a second time, a war over the harvest, a war for souls, a war over every single individual image-bearing human being on the planet. Always has been and always will be a war over the harvest. And what I love is that, you know, in verse 6, the people of Israel eventually get to this place where they cry out to the Lord for help. They cry out to the Lord for help. Now, in context, a bit of context for the Scripture is at the end of chapter 5, where it says this, the very last statement of chapter 5, Judges 5, it says this, and the land had rest for 40 years. So Israel's coming out of a 40-year rest where they've seen great victories. The you know, judges have risen up and defeated great enemies. What I truly believe is that over those 40 years, complacency crept in. You know, a bit of ease, a bit of compromise here, a little bit of compromise there, one idol here, one idol there. Oh, yeah, we'll worship Baal. We'll, we'll allow this thing in. Yeah, we'll do that. And slowly but surely over a 40-year period, period, compromise crept in. And so Midians, the Midianites started coming, stealing the harvest every year. Can you imagine how disheartening that would be? Every year you plant the crops, you, you plow the land, you do everything you need to do. And then this army comes in, overpowers you and takes it. No matter what you do in your own strength, you can't stop them. No matter how experienced your soldiers are, no matter how great your programs are, no matter how great your weapons are, you just can't stop Midian. And I just feel like we're at a, at a stage now where we've, we've kind of seen what man can accomplish. You know, the, the fruit of man. I mean, yes, there's great things happening, but I just feel like as a body, as a family of Christ in this nation, I feel like we've come to the end of ourselves. You know, there's strength and structure and, prog- and, you know, and things like that, and I'm not against programs and productions, but it's time for us to see what God can do. You know, not that we haven't done that, but I just feel like there's a whole new level that God's calling us to. But the question is, And just like Jesus invited us to in Matthew 9, when will we cry out to the Lord? When will we shut off our Netflix and cry out to the Lord? When will we let go of the YouTube obsession and cry out to the Lord? When will we lay down our conspiracy theories and cry out to the Lord? When will we let go of our distractions and cry out to the Lord? When will we drop our fear of man and what people might think of us and cry out to the Lord? When will we let go of our comfort and convenience and cry out to the Lord? When will we lay down our unbelief and cynicism and cry out to the Lord? When will we lay down our discouragement and disappointment? Oh, I believed for revival once, but it never happened in 20 years. When will we lay that down and cry out to the Lord? When will we lay down our pride and cry out to the Lord? When will we lay down our time and our schedules and cry out to the Lord? When will we carve out time to cry out to the Lord? Guys, when are we going to start crying out to the Lord? Truly, how, enough is enough in Aotearoa. I don't want my kids to grow up in the nation that I see the direction it's heading in. When I look at Gideon and Asher, I'm like, no, no way, not on my watch. It's time for us to cry out to the Lord personally, individually, in our closets, corporately. Who cares about what church it's in or who's behind it? It's a prayer meeting. Let's go. It's time to cry out to the Lord. Come on, there's a, there's a famine of prayer in New Zealand. 
because there's such a flourishing of pride and unbelief in New Zealand. Let's be real. We think that our practical skills can outdo the power of God. We have so much dependency on our, on our practical observations and what's, right, what's real and what can actually happen and what can't. And, and we have such little faith in what God can accomplish through us crying out to the Lord. Jesus told us, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Here we have in Judges 6, the people of God crying out to the Lord. You guys okay? All right. I feel like I'm whacking around a bit. I'm preaching to myself though. All right, here we go. You guys ready for a whole nother level? Don't hate me, guys. Verse eight, God responds to the, to the cry of the people of Israel. So here's the response of God to prayer. You guys ready for it? It's not nice. <laughs> the Lord sent a prophet. Dang, you know it's gonna be crazy in the Old Testament when the Lord sends a prophet. You know you're in for a wild ride where God sends a mouthpiece. Maybe a guy from Auckland to come down and preach on a Sunday night. Uh, I'm not saying I'm a prophet though. And he sends a prophet to the people of Israel. So here God is responding to that desperate, urgent, fervent cry. And the prophet says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I led you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. And I drove them out before you and gave you their land. So here God is just reminding them, man, I saved you. Like I did the impossible. I, I, I brought you out from slavery and oppression and where you were sitting for 400 years, I brought you out from that. God's just kind of pointing them, reminding them of, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I sent my son on the cross and, and he took sin and he took death and he, and he took the punishment for it and he died on that cross and then three days later, he rose again. It's kind of the New Testament equivalent. Like God's saying, yeah, you remember the gospel? Remember that gospel that you responded to and now you're saved? Remember that thing? Remember now you're a new creation? born again, sons and daughters of God. Remember, you're no longer slaves to sin. Remember that? You have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. He's kind of just reminding them of the ABCs of their faith, which we never graduate from. You know, come on. Shock there. <laughs> and then in verse 10, he says, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. <laughs> and here's the, here's the kicker. But you have not obeyed my voice. Dang. Come on, Lord. You know, we've just had these guys stealing our harvest for seven years. And we just cry. We've, we've finally come to that place where we humble ourselves to cry out to you and ask for your help. And what do you do? First of all, yeah, you remind us of the good news. But then you remind us of why it is that we're not reaping the harvest that we could be reaping. It's because we have not obeyed your voice. <laughs> oh, man. You know, Midian was an army that was uncountable in number. They were undefeatable and undefeated. But God in a tiny little breath could wipe that whole army out. Isn't it crazy that what seems so big to us can be so small for God, but what can seem so small to us can be so big for God. Oh, let me say that one more time. Isn't it crazy that what can seem so big for us, God saving Queenstown. Mate, God could blow on the city just a tiny little breath right now. And this whole city could be filled with the Holy Spirit, encountered by God. Jesus could appear to everyone right now. He could. That's not big for God. It really isn't. But what seems so small for us, these little areas of compromise, these little moments of disobedience, these little you know, scriptures that we read, but we kind of you know, twink them out or 
you know, erase them out or delete them or kind of ignore them. These things that we know we should be doing, these steps of action that we know we should be taking. This isn't a condemnation thing. It's not, not at all. There's, there's, there's grace, there's mercy. There's, you know, God loves you no matter what. And trust me, I, I repent probably every day. You know, and I'm, I'm in this, we're all in this together. But it's crazy that God responds to their prayers by pointing out their compromise. So I just wanna ask the question, is there any compromise in your life tonight? Is there any idols in your heart that you've made? Is there anything that's before God? Anything? Is it the opinions of others? Is it yourself? Is it the girl across the, the classroom from you? I don't know. But God comes in, He confronts their idolatry. All right, we're gonna start landing the plane, guys. Verse 11, verse 12. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah. So God is, he's pointed out, you know, hey, this is why Midian's coming in. It's because you haven't been obeying me. And then um, after he goes after their idolatry, then God raises up the solution. <laughs> Guys, if we're praying and believing for a revival, just know that God's gonna confront our hearts before he raises up the solution. Yeah, He's gonna get his little microscope out and he's gonna start revealing things and showing things and, Man, you know, even today, I, God just revealed to me my the self-dependence that I've been living with. I was just, I was actually in here this morning and just worshiping, and God's like, yeah, Ben, you're kind of dependent on yourself a little bit too much. And I'm like, God, I repent. <laughs> and God raises up the solution. Get this, guys. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you. O mighty man of valor. This is an identity. The Lord comes and hits identity. First, he identifies who he is, the Lord. The Lord is with you. God is with you. The omnipotent, sovereign creator of the universe is with you. Guys, that's an encouragement to each one of us today. God is with you. As you rise up and take the harvest in whatever sphere of influence God has given you, he is with you in it. You're not alone. You're not alone in your workplace. You're not alone in, in your family. Maybe the family reunions, you're the only Christian there. You're not alone. God is with you. Come on. First of all, he identifies who he is. And then he goes after Gideon's identity. And says, you're a mighty man of valor. Now these two words, uh, mighty man and valor in the Hebrew are military terms. And mighty man uh, in the Hebrew is talking about the most elite soldier of the day. So it'd be like saying SAS, you know, the special forces. So God appears to Gideon and says, you're an elite soldier. And then a valor in the Hebrew is, is spoken of a soldier who wins a great victory that requires great courage. That's who God is saying Gideon is. And I truly believe that's what he's saying over each one of us in the room. No matter your age, background, whatever it is, insecurities, personality type, you're a mighty man, you're a mighty woman of valor. And as Kiwis, I'm just gonna go after a little cultural thing right now. We, we're so good at false humility. We really are. We're so good at pretending like we're nothing. Like we're so good at downplaying who we are. We really are. There's this whole tall poppy syndrome thing. And you know, if you start to rise up to a certain level, you get cut down. We are so good at coming under that. And um, all of that starts to turn into this thing which um, is called self-hatred where we actually begin to hate ourselves, <laughs> truly. 
And this isn't some kind of cheesy motivational talk, but, but the truth is that if you believe you are nothing, then you will do nothing. It's 100% true every time. That's why God doesn't just say, Gideon, hey, I'm with you, let's go. He says, hey, I'm with you. You're, by the way, you're a mighty man of valor because he wants Gideon to not just hear it, but agree with it and then step out on it. Yeah? I remember when people started giving me these words of leadership and communication and, and I'm like, nah, man, I'm, like, I'm the reluctant one. I, I just like to sit in the back and praise Jesus and you know, just have a good time. But it actually requires more humility for me to be doing this right now than it does for me to be standing in the back cleaning the toilets. Truly does. Humility is agreeing with who God has called you to be. And it's time for us to kick that self-hatred out of our lives and just agree with who God has called you to be. You're a voice. You're a signs and wonders, miracle-working vessel. You are. You're a person of great strength and great courage. This isn't cliche. You are truly a world changer. You're a gospel proclaimer. You're a revivalist. You're a general in the faith. Come on. Whatever it is that God's saying to you, it's true. All right. Come on. All right. Final point, and then we're just going to get the worship team up for one last little thing. Verse um, 13 and 14 says this, Gideon said to him, he responds to God, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. We'll read verse 15 quickly. It says this, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. You shall strike the Midianites as one man. So God, um, Gideon responds to the Lord and, you know, he's in a swirl. God, you've done all these things, but how can you say you're with us when we're not seeing what you, you know, all those previous past moves of God that I've heard about? We're not seeing it, so you can't be with us. It's so nice reading about the Welsh Revival, isn't it, or the, the Azusa Street Revival, or when Smith Wigglesworth came to Wellington, or when Samuel Marsden came to Oihi Bay and preached the gospel in Aotearoa for the first time just over 200 years ago, and 35 years later, two-thirds of our nation is going to church. It's nice hearing about all that stuff, right? What if God wanted to do something today? What if God wanted to do something now? What if God wanted to do something through you? Come on. What if he was just looking for his Gideons to rise up and say, yes, go in this might of yours. That's how God responds to Gideon's swirl. He doesn't even answer his questions. He just says, basically saying, Gideon, if you want to see a fresh move, you have to go in this might of yours and save Israel. Don't wait on me. Don't bring your little pity party to me. Don't get so caught up in the, in the past. No, go in this might of yours and save Israel. And I just believe that, that God is saying that to each one of us in the room. Go with your creativity and save Queenstown. Go with your giftings and save Queenstown. Go with your passions and personalities and save Queenstown. Go with the dreams that are on your heart 
and save Queenstown. And yes, it is dependent on God, but just ask the little boy with the five loaves and two fish what happened when he surrendered what he had to Jesus. Just ask David what happened with the slingshot when he surrendered what he had to God. Just ask Moses what happened with the staff when he surrendered what he had to God and the Red Sea parted and an entire nation was set free. Never underestimate the power of what's in your, high, what's in your hand. Come on, let's stand to our feet. All right, we're gonna have a little response time. Come on, let's do it. And we're not gonna do, well, we might do it up the front thing, but I just want us just to have a moment where we just focus on God and, and uh, really that first question that was asked was, what is the compromise in your life? Let's go, let's have a little moment with the Holy Spirit right now. And let's ask Him, let's just be really raw and real. And once again, there's no condemnation in any of this. But let's just begin to close our eyes, focus on the Lord. And I just want you to ask Him this, God, is there any compromise in my life? Are there any idols in my heart? Just begin to ask Him, just even right now. And if there is, just in your space and, and just begin to give it to Him if you're ready to surrender it and let it go. It's time to lay down the idols, guys. It's time to get rid of the compromise. God wants your whole heart. So just begin having that conversation with Him. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this room in a fresh way. We just want you to know that, God, we are, we are so hungry for wholeheartedness. We are so hungry to be all in. We are so hungry to love you, Jesus, with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. So God, we just pray, Lord, would you bring your loving um, microscope to our hearts? And God, would you reveal to us, Lord, if there's any idols in our hearts, God, any compromises, whether big or small, any areas of our lives where we're in disobedience to, you, to your word, God. And Lord, would you just reveal that to us? And God, as a family, we, we repent. God, we joyfully repent because we know that we're letting go of things that might be bringing death in our lives or are holding us back from fullness. And so we joyfully repent, God. This isn't a, a heavy moment. This is a joyful moment, guys. This isn't like a heavy, burdensome thing. This is joyful repentance right now, guys, where we get to let go of things that are holding you back. God wants to take you deeper tonight, deeper in intimacy with Him. There's breakthrough in your life that you've been hungry for and you've been wondering, God, why haven't I seen the breakthrough in my heart that I've been searching for? And he's saying, because there's an idol that you've been holding on to. And he so wants you to just let that go so that he can move in that area of your life. Come on, this is a joyful thing. What's God asking you to surrender? What's God asking you to let go of? God, we let go of an obsession with social media, God. God, we let go of social media addiction, Jesus. We joyfully repent of that. God, we let go of the fear of man. God, we joyfully repent of living for the opinions of people and letting their opinions silence us. God, I repent of unbelief, of not believing that, God, you can do the impossible. I joyfully repent of unbelief. God, I repent of cynicism. Come on, just negativity, grumpiness. I repent of grumpiness, God. Come on, woo, I love that. God, I repent, God, of, of passivity, Lord where you're, you're telling me to take action. You've been telling me to share my testimony with this person. You've been telling me to pray for the sick. You've been telling me to carve out some time for intercession, but I haven't done it. I haven't done the thing 
that I know I should do. That's passivity, guys. God, I repent of that. <laughs> God, I repent of complacency where there's a settledness in my life, where I'm saved, so I'm good. God, I repent of settling for second best. I repent of settling for less than what you have for me, less than what your son died for. I just feel like that's for some of us in the room, guys. There's, there's a little bit of complacency in some hearts tonight. And complacency is where you, there's like an ease because you've settled. There's, a, there's an unholy satisfaction and God's saying, come deeper, come deeper, believe for more. There's more, there's more. There's more of His presence. There's more revelation. God wants to do signs and wonders through you if you'll just step out and pray for the sick. There's more, there's more freedom. You can be as free as you wanna be. Don't settle. God, we let go of complacency tonight, God. We let go of that, God, in Jesus' name. Come on. Lord, we let go of pride right now, God. God, thinking that we know better than you do, thinking that we can do more than you can. God, we let go of pride. God, we embrace the illogical faith. We embrace the illogical nudgings of the Holy Spirit. We embrace the illogical Word of God that doesn't make sense to our minds, but God, it makes sense to our spirits. God, we let go of pride right now, God. Living for ourselves, God. We let go of selfishness in Jesus' name. Come on, guys, if you're hungry for it, it's there. Just begin repenting. Just begin joyfully letting things go. Surrendering things to Him. It's the first step, guys. It's the first step to being a catalyst. It's the first step to being a Gideon. It's the first step to seeing a move of God in the city. It's a move of God in your heart. So we joyfully let go of selfishness, God. Self-centered Christianity. We let go of it, God. Comfortable Christianity. We let go of it, God. We just say we're willing to step out of our comfort zones. God, we lay down our reputations. Nah, Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Come on. God, we lay down our, our control of our finances. This isn't like some weird prosperity thing, but I just feel like there's, there's a holding on to, to finances. And God's just saying, release. Every dollar has been given from Him to you. Just release it to Him. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So God, we just pray, bring breakthrough right now into every heart, God, that, that is surrendering, that is letting go, God. And those that even are struggling just to, hold, to let go of something, God, would there be grace right now to full surrender? God, as a family, we just say we want to be fully surrendered to you, Jesus. May the Lamb receive the reward of His suffering. In Jesus' name. Come on, come on. All right, now we're going to step into another kind of time of response in a different area. What I want you to do is this. I want you to ask God, God, what is in my hand? You know, Moses had a staff and God used it to part an ocean. A boy had five loaves of two fish. And Jesus used it to feed 5,000. David had a slingshot, and God used it to slay the mightiest warrior on the face of the planet. It's time to ask the Lord, God, what is in my hand? What is it that you've given me that I can surrender to you, that you can use it <laughs> to reach the harvest? So just ask the Lord that, and just, just begin to ask of God, what is it? And begin to surrender it to Him. 
Maybe it's like you have a passion for art. Maybe God's calling you to be an artist for Him, to share the gospel in creative ways. Maybe God's put, put in you musician or singer. It's time to surrender that to Him and say, God, use this gift to, to reach the harvest. Maybe God's giving you an ability to, to, to win people over, you know, that just that person that everyone likes. And there's just this, this ability to connect with people's hearts, to connect with people in a deep way. Surrender that to Him and say, God, use this to reach the harvest. It's crazy what God can use to reach people, guys. Maybe you're passionate for sport. Surrender that to Him. Maybe you play rugby or squash or tennis. Maybe there's people in your, in your tennis group that God wants you to reach. Surrender it to Him. Thank you, Lord. Come on. God, would you reveal what is in our hands, God? What it is that you've given to us, these gifts and talents and passions and gifts and strengths, Lord, that you've given us, Lord God, the, the unique jigsaw puzzle piece that we are, Lord. Thank you, Lord.